dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Following the way of the Lord, obviously, is the right thing to do. It's a good thing. It should make us happy. Why then is it so often marked by difficulty? Why wouldn't God make our path an easy one? If we go to the New Testament, we see that actually it never was easy. And when our Lord was forming his disciples to be bold proclaimers of his word, he formed them through challenge and difficulty, learning how he did it with them then can make us better leaders now. I just love doing this new series with you guys, this class that we're teaching on how our Lord formed his first disciples uh, into bold proclaimers of the gospel, into bold leaders. And I like it because, number one, it's very biblical. When you look at the descriptor that's given for the way that the apostles preached the gospel, the Greek word is parea. Now, we translate that word as bold, but it has more connotations than just bold. It's, it's open, confident, clear. Okay, so in other words, they put forward exactly what they wanted to say. They didn't hold it back. They didn't hide it. They had a bold proclamation. And that bold proclamation, of course, influenced the whole world around them because it was then sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit who used their proclamation as his instrument to bring the power of God's word effectively into our world. So the question then becomes, well, how is my proclamation? Is my proclamation being bold? And is it clear? Is it courageous? Is it open? Is it plain? Right? This is the same word, Perea, that they use when they, the, the Jews ask Jesus to tell them plainly whether he is the Messiah. So then the question becomes for us, is our speech plain? Is our life simple? Is it focused? Remember that the impact of a leader doesn't come by the volume of his voice, and it doesn't come by the ferocity of his anger or of his emotions. The power of a leader comes from the authenticity of their actions. That is, are my actions flowing from my character? Am I in alignment? Are my life's goals in alignment with the deep aspirations of my faith and of my knowledge of God, for example? Or am, am I living two kinds of life? On the one hand, I profess heaven and I profess love for Jesus. And on the other hand, I live like any other person in the world. And, and I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with having things in the world. That's your vocation, your business leaders, right? But at the same time, I'm supposed to be using my business, using my, my influence that's around me for a greater goal. And that goal needs to be coming from something that's deep down inside of me. The furthest thing out from me needs to be aligned with the deepest part within me. And when that happens, I become someone that is a force to be reckoned with. Not in the sense of, you know, tearing things down, but in the sense of being so driven singularly in my focus that I bring the world with me. 
Okay, like a like a river that goes through the ground and takes everything along in the course of its sway. So we also in our life are going to heaven, going to Jesus. And so everyone that we touch and, and that we interact with along our way, from our, our employees to our customers, to the people that we influence on our teams, to our colleagues, to the people that we bless with the various you know benefits of our businesses, all of these people, everyone around us knows this person is going to God. This person is speaking about a love that's deep down inside of them. And even if they don't say words, right? Even if we don't have the chance to, to say fancy language about Jesus or to tell our life story, we're telling about him by the way that we live and the passion that drives us. Our motivation, other words, inside of us is coming from the one who is outside of us, the one who is drawing us deeper. And that's what makes Christians such powerful leaders in everything that we do. And that's what we need to focus in on. This is why when you, you go back and you start looking at how the Lord did this with his apostles, how he takes ordinary men and he builds them into these people who will build the kingdom of God. I mean, how do you take people who are business people in the end? I mean, we know Peter, Andrew, James, and John all were running their family business of fishing, right? And they were actually partners in the same business. They had one third of the apostles came from one single company, so to speak. <laughs> you know, uh, which was that fishing company that was founded by their dad or their grandpa, whoever it was. And they're all working together in, in, in applying those waters. Well, uh, how do you take those people and then make them into priests, bishops, evangelists who are full-time, fully in their religion without going to rabbinical school, without going to theology school, and yet are somehow supposed to be giving authoritative teaching on the scriptures and founding the church? I mean, that's an amazing transformation. And even if you don't share the perspective of faith, it's still worth looking at from a pedagogical point of view to try to understand how this is done. How do, how do you get someone to not forsake the greatness of their roots, the intelligence and the integrity that come from all of the training that they have in their business lives? I mean, they, if think about it, when you're running this fish company, so to speak, Simon Peter, he'd have to be really strong in sales. I mean, they're living on a lake can you imagine the competition levels, right? There's a limited population. There's a limited number of fish and there's limited things for folks to do to make money, namely fishing. So, I mean, he'd have to be great in sales. It's what, how do you take that salesmanship of Simon Peter and then turn that into someone who can preach the gospel? And on the one hand, you can say, well, it's just miracle. God, God miraculously just gives these guys this power. And I say, well, maybe but I, I mean, it's always a possibility. But when I look back over the gospel, I don't just see a miraculous transformation taking place. I see three years of Christ living with them, training them. And I also look at the way God deals with us today. And I don't see a lot of like just miraculous transformations happening with you. I see God taking your giftedness and your nature, your talents, your temperament, your education, where you came from and how you, and then he takes that and he uses that to, for a whole new level of growth that yes, comes by the power of his grace and by, you know, his Holy Spirit inside of you, but that doesn't contradict. It, it, this is a, a great axiom of theology that St. Thomas Aquinas gave us. And you can use this in your businesses. You can use this in your personal life because it's really important. He says, grace does not destroy nature, but instead it builds on it and perfects it. 
Okay, just say that again and again. Grace does not destroy nature. It builds on nature and it perfects nature. It moves nature to a whole new level. It takes who we are. God loves who you are. He made who you are to be the person you are, to be the mother, the father, the grandfather that you are. This is your identity deep down inside and your giftedness. And who, I mean, who you are is precious to God. And every one of us reflects a part of God, an aspect of God. None of us reflect the different totality of everything that's in God. For that, you need every human being that was made by God. And each one in a unique way gives us a beautiful image of God. Something that's particular and wonderful in us. But none of us have the whole picture. And so God will take who we are to speak his story. Right? So this is why when he takes the 12 apostles, he doesn't just call them and then zap them, so to speak, right? With this Holy Spirit gift. He doesn't do the same thing with us either. He takes who we are and then he builds on it. And he's speaking his language through our lives. Right? And so if, if he's going to do that, he's going to build his kingdom through our influence, well, then we as leaders need to see how he does that. And I'm going to, I, I look at the gospel and one constant that I see in the life of the apostles is that he does it through adversity and through challenge. He doesn't hide from them, even when during his time with them, the realism of what they're up against. And instead, he lets them confront failure, opposition, and rejection as the key instruments for forming them to be the bold leaders that he wants them to be. And he does the same for you and me today. Are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. So trying to understand the way that the Lord formed the 12 apostles, one constant that we look at, you know, if we're going to take these guys from being, you know, business leaders or being zealots or being, you know, people, we don't even know all the backgrounds of all the 12 apostles, but whoever they were and wherever they came from, The Lord took them into becoming bold proclaimers of a brand new religion and to found and proclaim and advance this religion in the presence of the old that they're supposed to supersede and then in presence of the, the pagans that don't appreciate them. Having had their leader be put to death by the very same world leaders that they're supposed to confront. I mean, you could look at this and say this is an impossible task. And indeed, it is an impossible task. And yet they did it. And the institution that they founded, the organization of the Roman Catholic Church, is the oldest organization at anywhere in the world to be continuous for 2,000 years. And this is, of course, the organization that our Lord himself founded through these people. So how did they do it? Well, of course, it's not a matter of technique. It's not a matter, you know, of some sort of secret recipe. But it is, in a way, detectable through, by looking at the way that God trained his apostles. He had three years to form these men. 
And it's not the totality of the reason, right? I mean, they always have God's grace, the Holy Spirit. God continues to form them through after those three years by the motion of the Holy Spirit within their hearts. I'm not purporting here to say that there's some sort of secret recipe, but I can say that there's some lessons that we can learn, right? And of these lessons, one of the things that most fascinates me anyway is looking at the fact that our Lord allowed them to encounter failure and challenge opposition and even persecution while he was with them. Now, I don't know about you, but when these type of things happen to me, I think to myself, oh gosh, I must have done something wrong. Where is God in my life? God is on the outside and I'm somewhere else. He's forgotten me or I must have transgressed some sort of commandment and deserved this, whatever it could be. But I, and I hear that same thing coming from so many of you. You know, you, you go through life and then everything is great when your business is successful, when everything is going wonderfully, you're hitting all of your objectives and your kids at home are happy and your extended family is happy. That's a sign that you're doing something right and that God loves you. And when you meet challenge, not just a positive challenge, but I mean real threat, uh, anxiety, anxious nights, uh, lawsuits pending, the business teetering, the economy changing, I mean, things that could make your entire life's work kind of fall into nothing. And then you add on to it the stress that that, that entails coming from an economic you know, consideration for your family. And it's really easy to think that there, you've done something wrong because your life following Christ is hard. Right? We equate challenge or, or threat or existential difficulty with failure. And this is something that I think haunts us. Because as we go forward, it seems to never go away, which means we're always kind of wondering if in fact we've not failed, turned the wrong way, done the wrong thing, earned God's displeasure. And I can tell you, the one thing that'll make anyone become ineffective in their leadership quicker than anything else is to think that they're doing the wrong thing, right? So a challenge and opposition, persecution equates doing the wrong thing. Doing the wrong thing equates pulling back from what the influence that we're supposed to be giving and instead allowing something else to take place. We no longer try to be a good mom once we're convinced that we aren't one. We don't even try to run an ethical business making a difference in the world when we think that inside of ourselves, we're not sure if we should be even doing this. Why don't we just do it like everyone else? Why are we trying to bring Christ into the workplace? Why are we trying to lead our families effectively in the church when there's so much confusion and so many reasons to stop, right? All those things come our way. And I don't think we're so far from the first apostles. Because when you go to the very first apostles, look at all of the confusion, the challenge, the, the, the array of difficulties that our Lord not only allowed them to face, but that he faced with them. Maybe, in fact, having problems isn't the problem. Maybe, in fact, having problems with having problems is the real problem, <laughs> right? It's, it's our, the way that we deal with the problems that we have that gives those problems even more credibility or power over us than they ever should have. And, and our Lord, so he, he, he gives a lot of problems, puts them right into the lap of the apostles, almost to teach them that, guys, leadership is about having problems. <laughs> the moment you stop having problems, you stop having influence. The, the problems of the world, the problems of our companies and of our families, they're opportunities. 
in which I can joyfully sow the seeds of God's love and his truth effectively exactly where they need to be. If the world was perfect, it wouldn't need leaders. Leaders are necessary for an imperfect and a broken world. And in the imperfect and in a broken world, the leader becomes an agent of healing, an agent of truth, an agent of God and his salvation right there. Which means I actually wish he had more problems because you're God's hero. You're God's holy one that he sent to be there in those problems. We see, and to adopt that attitude suddenly allows my life to become an instrument of his. I can freely and wonderfully bless this world in the name of Christ when I realize two things. Number one, that I am loved by him and approved by him. And that number two, the world needs the God who has approved me. And when I put those two together, I become a bridge over which Christ walks through my life and my actions and my decisions and my influence into the world in a beautiful way which is why it's so critical that we not allow ourselves to be taken down by our own thoughts of negativity or judgment. The difficulties that we face, in other words, we face with Jesus and we face them in his power and we face them in his name and we don't allow the fact that my life has challenges to be a condemnation of who I am. Instead, the challenges that I face in my life release who he is through who I am. I'm in those challenges so that God can bring his solutions. And to teach this to his apostles, he allowed them to, be, to face those problems, the same problems that they would have later on in life too, but to face them with him as he educated them through their challenge and through whatever failures they could perceive that they've had into becoming the bold proclaimers of his word that he wanted them to be. He does the same for you and me. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. I'm a big fan of the life of the apostles. I'm, I'm a fan of what they do. I'm a fan of looking at the Bible, seeing how God formed them. And it astounds me to see just how challenging their lives were and how many things they've had, they had to put up with. I think of St. Paul, for example. He gives us the most comprehensive list in Scripture of all of the things that he had to go through. I'm just going to read it for you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's one of the most marvelous parts of Scripture because it outlines for us really a picture, so to speak, of how hard it was for St. Paul and the things that he had to go through. He begins by comparing himself with the other apostles. And he says, look, I'm speaking like a fool, but in fact, I have worked harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. All right, so beyond the, I mean, those really astounding things of like how St. Paul you know, suffered, he, think about this. He's actually saying he suffered more than the other apostles. So that in itself is a spiritual kind of suffering, an emotional suffering, a challenge that the Lord let him go through to say, yeah, Paul, you have a unique path that no one else has. And I say this because a lot of people have astounding levels of suffering in their lives. 
and they look around and they say, why is it me? Why did I go through that divorce and then never find anyone else? When in fact, I'm trying to pray, I'm trying to follow God, and yet I'm stuck with loneliness in my life. And then my, my child, you know, rebels against me, my parents die, and I find myself completely alone. I mean, yeah, that's a heavy cross to carry, right? Or, or and you look around, you say, well, I mean, it, other people don't have that cross. It seems like they have these happy families, they're healthy, they're this or that. And of course, you never judge because every person has their own tales of suffering that only they know. But that in itself is a lesson. Our Lord allows St. Paul to feel and to maybe even objectively know that he has gone through more than the others as a way of allowing him to be singularly focused on God. Why are you in this, Paul? It's not because you're part of a band of companions. It's because you're following me. And I'm asking you to do things I'm not asking the others to do, to bind your heart to me in its unique way, in a way that no one else will be bound to me. So to accept that, you've got to accept the solitude of the love that comes from Christ. When Christ loves us, he loves us into solitude. A communion with him that is so unique that it can't be shared in the same way with others. We can let Christ flow through us. We can bring other people to know him. But each one of us is looked at in a unique and a singular way. And so St. Paul has to go undergo not only all those sufferings, but he has to do them alone. And he has to do them solely looking at the Lord. And then he goes and he starts listing off the things that he, he, he challenged. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Okay, so there you have just direct torture that he underwent. Physical brutality. Five times, you know, being lashed 39 times. That's 195 times that a whip marked his back right? He was beaten with rods three different times. Okay, so he, he's going through this and he, he's, he's saying, God's allowed me to undergo physical suffering as I was supposed to be being a bishop, as I was supposed to be proclaiming the word and doing my job. I had all of these health issues that were keeping me back. I mean, just think about all the time he must have spent in convalescence. I mean, you don't just recover from a, being beaten by rods overnight. There would have been weeks of him laying in bed, learning his strength back, physical therapy, so to speak, right? And Paul had to go all through all that while he was still trying to found the church in these different places. How many meetings did he miss, you know, because he was in prison <laughs> being tortured? Like probably a ton, you know? And you could say, well, why wouldn't God have just given him such physical health that he'd be able to do God's work? Well, the answer is because he was doing God's work. He was always doing God's work even if God's work was for him to be laid up in bed healing, right? That requires such a surrender from the soul of St. Paul, right? And you could go through this with the other apostles because they too had tortures. You know, getting thrown in prison, you know, the 12 apostles being hauled in front of the Sanhedrin, Peter and John being in prison, Peter being in chains in prison, you know, and then God allowing Saul, for example, in Acts 8, to just go and, and cause all kinds of mayhem and the Christian community to be scattered, causing the apostles to have to travel around to visit with them, going here and there, living undercover, constantly being a threat. You could say, man, that slowed down the church. And, and yes, it, it did slow down the church. But when I look at the life of Christ, I see the same situation. 
I mean, our Lord not only was beaten and tortured at the moments of his passion, but as he went through Galilee, he had rejection from towns. He had whole people trying. He, they tried to arrest him to kill him three different times. <laughs> whole crowds of people with stones to throw at him. I mean, and, and that slowed him down. He had these, these questions from the Sanhedrin trying to trip him up so that then they could throw him into prison, right? And you could say, why did God allow all of that? Well, obviously, it's okay. Remember what I said, having problems is not a problem. Having problems with having problems, that's a problem, right? And if I could get rid of that gnawing thought in my head that because my path is marked by difficulty, I'm doing something wrong, and instead replace it with this joy of faith to say, this is the path that it seems that I have to walk, and it seems to be a hard one. I will glorify God through my struggles as much as I will glorify Him in my final success. And there might even be times where it doesn't even work out. I'm looking and thinking of the life of St. Paul, where, where God allows him to walk all the way across Turkey. I mean, that's quite a hiking trip. <laughs> he starts in Israel and he walks clear to the, the, the northern end of Turkey and then goes into Greece. And that entire time of walking, he has three different locations that he's sent to, so to speak, by God, where the door just gets closed in his face. And it literally says, the Spirit prevented me from going there. Right? So St. Like, so Paul goes there and then the Spirit prevents him, closes the door. He has to go somewhere else. It's it, it just like our Lord who goes through the towns and has towns refuse to receive him. He tells his apostles, when a town refuses to receive you, shake the dust off of your feet. Right? So, and you can say, well, why doesn't God just make it that everyone receives him? I mean, if he's there on the earth, why doesn't he just, everywhere he goes, why isn't there always success? And in the world, you'll be judged by the, the amount of conversions that you make with respect to you know, your website from someone visiting to someone buying. You'll be judged by how well your product sells in this quarter compared to the last and how well you can innovate to master the market, how well you can utilize your profit margin in order to extend their dominance on that corner of the market. You know, all of these different things. Well, that's because the world isn't from God. It's nothing wrong with those things. They're fine. And we need to do those things. But we have to recognize there's a deeper wisdom at play my kingdom is not of this world. Means that we who are called to be in this world, we're called to use it for the sake of another kingdom in the service of a greater king. And he will use not just this, our worldly success, although he can use that, but it's not just that. He will also use our failures. He will speak his message of wisdom and grace through our limitations and our shortcomings and where we have fallen and fallen flat more eloquently than he will use our success because he's speaking to us about a whole different level of life, the wisdom of knowing God and of glorifying your Father in heaven. For this, what's, it, what's necessary? That we embrace those challenges like his son did, that we embrace those challenges like he had his apostles embrace them, we embrace them like St. Paul, and we continue to do the jobs that he gave us and to exert not only the earthly influence, but exert his influence through our challenges and our struggles. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter 
receive updates from Father Nathan.